Hello, hello, y'all. Hey, it's me, Robin. And before we get into today's episode, I'm here to let you know that the club is open right now for new members. I'm going to take a couple minutes to fill you in on all that the club is offering right now. So if you know for sure you're not interested in joining the club, you're just going to want to hit the forward button a few times until you hear that baffling behavior show jingle. Okay, so the club is a virtual community for families of kids with vulnerable nervous systems and big baffling behaviors. Many families in the club are parenting kids with a history of complex trauma, but definitely not all. Some are parenting kids with vulnerabilities that emerge from their neurotype or their sensory system or their giftedness or their neuroimmune disorder. And of course, some have no idea why their child's nervous system is so vulnerable. The primary purpose of the club and why I've created it the way that I have is connection and co-regulation. Because when I reflect back on my time as a therapist, it wasn't the skills and strategies and tools and techniques I taught parents that mattered the most. What mattered most was how connection and co-regulation strengthened their owl brain so that they could stay more regulated in the face of the chaos in their home. Then they could, number one, actually use the tools, and number two, start to feel a little bit better even before the tools started to work. The club can be accessed online both through your browser on your computer and through an app. And it's open, of course, 24-7. There's a very active forum, a huge video library, and multiple live events every month. Sometimes I teach a masterclass on a specific topic. Sometimes we come together for group coaching or just to ask questions and pick, pick my brain. We have two sessions every month called Connect and Co-Regulates, and those are designed to offer exactly that. There's no teaching, no coaching, just a place for you to be seen and heard by people who get it. Currently, we are also offering once a month bonus sessions for siblings of dysregulated kids. The club is intended to be kind of like a buffet. There is a ton in it, not because you're supposed to do everything in the club. You take what you need when you need it and come back when you're ready for more. If you could use a little extra support, consider joining us. You can read all about all the details over at robingobel.com slash the club. I'll put a link in the show notes And we're open today until the end of the day, Friday, May 3rd. All right, y'all, here's that episode you're waiting for. Instead of summing the suffering, let's build the buffering. My guest today, Dr. Amy Stober, has a grounding perspective on resilience and imperfection. So often when professionals start talking about resilience, It can get just a little too close to toxic positivity or even inviting trauma survivors to be grateful for their trauma because after all, it created resilience. 
I knew Amy wouldn't even come close to sending a message like that. And instead we talked about how we can build resilience while still acknowledging the impact of trauma and not sending a message that trauma survivors should just get over it. I can't wait to introduce you to Dr. Amy. Welcome back to the Parenting After Trauma podcast. I'm your host, Robin Goble, and I've made it my job to take the science of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human and translate that for parents of kids who have experienced trauma. I'm a psychotherapist with over 15 years of experience working with kids who've experienced trauma and their families. I'm also a self-diagnosed brain geek and relationship freak. I study the brain kind of obsessively and even taught the science of interpersonal neurobiology in a postgraduate certificate program. I started this podcast on a whim with the intention to get you free, accessible support as fast as possible. So this podcast isn't fancy and I do very little editing. In fact, sometimes you're even going to hear a -a cock-a-doodle-doo in the background. If you love this episode, add Parenting After Trauma to your favorite podcast player and definitely share with your friends and colleagues. You're going to want to head over to my website and get the free ebook I've created all about the brilliance of attachment. I took everything from a six-part series on attachment that I did in June of 2021 and had it professionally laid out into a free ebook. Watching that series go from words into what honestly feels like a work of art was surprisingly lovely. I hope you'll love it. You can grab that at robingobel.com slash ebook. And while you're on my website, you're definitely going to want to check out my calendar of upcoming trainings for both parents and professionals at robingobel.com slash trainings. Today's episode with Dr. Amy is sponsored by The Club, a virtual community of connection, co-regulation, and of course, a little education for parents of kids impacted by trauma. Every month, we have a meeting that is called Connect and Co-Regulate, and the purpose of it is just that. Parents show up, they spend time with one another, giving and receiving connection and co-regulation. And y'all, sometimes I just can't even. It is so overwhelming to be a part of this amazing community. The way they bravely show up for each other and, and themselves has exceeded what I even ever thought was possible. If you need to feel seen and and be gotten and understood, we would love to have you in the club. The club will open for new members in the fall. We open approximately every three months. And so at this point, we're looking at welcoming new members late September, early October. If you head to robingobel.com slash the club, you'll be able to add yourself to the waiting list. So now, without any further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Dr. Amy Stober. Amy and I met when we were both instructors in a postgraduate certificate program that trained mental health providers to be better supports for foster and adoptive families. But this is one of the first times where we really just got to talk and go deep. I really enjoyed this conversation with Amy, and I hope you do too. Here we go. Amy, I'm just so grateful that you have found a way to find some time in your schedule, that, especially with our time zone difference, that we could connect and I'd have the opportunity to introduce you to my audience. So thank you so much for being here today. Oh my gosh, me too. I know we're both crazy busy, so it's this is fun. Thank you. Yes. 
Yeah. So I tell everybody listening just about you and the work that you do. Yeah, thanks. So I am a licensed clinical psychologist. I have a private practice out here in um, just outside of Portland, Oregon, and see kids and families birth to 21, often around trauma, attachment, stress, um, and then a variety of other things. And when I'm not doing that, I'm training. I'm training teachers and medical providers around how to recognize stress and trauma. And then their big question, which is like, now I know that there's trauma that's occurred or stress that's happening for this child. What do I do about it? And that's really where my passion is, is helping build strong, thriving families and resilient children. I love that. I know we have so many common passions and interests, but then these different ways in which we deliver our passions and interests to the world are a little bit different. And I think that that's really neat as well. Mm-hmm. So you and I met because we, for a short period of time, we were both teaching inside a certificate program for mental health professionals with adoption and foster care right. lens. And so although it, I, I, you don't necessarily consider that your dominant area of expertise, right? Adoption, foster families. I just want to make clear to my listeners that like you absolutely know these families and you know their needs and you're so committed to like like I am like helping other professionals get to know these families and know their needs. So I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. Well and with the work with foster and adoptive families, you know, there is a really a core of trauma that either has occurred or a yeah. rupture and attachment that's occurred. Yes. And then a whole bunch of rebuilding. Yes. And that's really everything that I do and teach. Um and yeah. so it's it's a wonderful compliment. And yeah. You know, as we were kind of teaching this course in parallel worlds, Robin, mm-hmm. I just kept hearing over and over, oh my gosh, you should meet Robin. She's amazing. The two of you do so much similar work. So yes. it's really fun to be able to talk. Yeah, I completely agree. So let's talk today about resilience because, you know, luckily, like the trauma informed world, air quotes, trauma informed world has begun kind of shifting, I think, the conversation in the last couple of years. I think there's still so much to do and a lot of momentum to build behind that. But um, from kind of shifting the focus from like, what's wrong with you, right? This real heavy focus on trauma, 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 to acknowledging the trauma. I mean, I absolutely, we need to acknowledge and validate and give lots of space and and time to that experience while also kind of holding at the same time, right. This way of holding the both and of kind of, and, and now what, right. Yes. And, and resilience and the topic around resilience, the conversation around resilience kind of feels like that next. Okay. Now what, where does the trauma informed conversation begin to move, begin to move into would you agree that kind of res- the, the topic of resilience feels like the next place we're going from traditional Absolutely. trauma-informed care? Absolutely. And I think, you know, there's better movement in, you know, 
recognizing and identifying what adverse childhood experiences are, which probably a lot of people in your audience recognize and know what those are, um, to broadening even the definition of those things that create trauma for kids and families, um, to being just more broadened, Mm -hmm. trauma-informed. But I was in a meeting yesterday, Robin, where they, I loved the phrase they used. They said, instead of summing the suffering, let's build the buffering. Mm, so okay let's say that again instead yeah, of summing, summing suffering right yes. so kind of adding up tallying up all these aces or yes. these determinants yes. of poor outcomes of health later on why don't we instead work on what you and I in the mental health field have known forever yeah. builds resilience builds thriving families builds what other people might call um like through Dr. Robert Sagey's work positive health outcomes yes um the building of buffering right uh. those buffering environments experiences situations and people yes. that, that can really mitigate or decrease the effects of trauma yes i yeah. love that instead of summing the suffering let's focus on building the, the buffering. buffering yeah Yeah. Cause I think, and especially I think about the parents that you work with Robin, um, you know, you have this child who's experienced maybe extreme trauma or trauma on many levels and maybe even acute trauma as they're transitioning to a forever home into a safe space. And we can look and and feel like the trauma or the adversity is like this sentence for their long-term health, for their long-term outcome. But there is countless thousands amounts of research articles and data that says that is corollary, not causal. And we can intervene. And the sooner we intervene and in the more regulated spaces that we intervene with and these safe, supportive, nurturing adults that are in children's lives, we actually mitigate the effects of trauma. We build more resilient beings. Yes. Yes. Well, let's talk about how that, how is that done? I mean, I heard you talk about relationship, but yeah, let's get Let's get specific. What, yeah. what does it so, mean? So let's, can I circle back for just a second yes. to resilience, right? Yes. So even in the work that I'm doing right now, um, there's almost this, this um, kind of pushback to the word resilience, right? Anytime we use a word over and over and over, it kind of gets overused, yeah. overpromoted. Um, and so resilience is sometimes defined as the ability to bounce back. Mm -hmm. I don't love that definition because Mm -hmm. I think if you talk to someone who's gone through trauma and I'd I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, I don't think they would say, gosh, I'm just a pretty bouncy person. I just bounce back all the time. Um, When I talk to survivors, um, most of the trauma victims that I work with are survivors of sexual trauma and extreme physical abuse, um, contentious divorce. What they will say is, I don't feel like a rubber ball that can bounce back. I feel like... Um, I'm able to overcome hardship and challenges and kind of reframe it as a lesson that I've learned as something that's happened in my life that I've decided to gain strength from versus being overwhelmed by it. And so when I talk about my working definition of resilience, I say that resilience is the ability to overcome and face challenges Mm -hmm. and be strengthened versus defeated by them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I usually ask whomever I'm working with, whether it's a, an individual or a family or an audience, how would you define resilience? Because mm-hmm. I think it's really within, you know, kind of like in the eye of the beholder. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. What, what is resilience for you? Yeah. The other thing I would say about resilience is I never want 
an individual to feel like they have to be resilient to overcome trauma. Right. Systems and families and supportive relationships help build that resilience. Also, I never want someone who's already gone through so much to feel like, well, now the work's all on you get resilient, right? Have a more positive mindset. I never want that. So I really want people to hear resilience is kind of this internal ability Mm -hmm. to overcome challenges and finding environments and people that help kind of perpetuate those feelings of resilience and strength. Yes. I love that. I worked with a mom's group once many, many, many years ago. And at the very beginning, we kind of set our, it was a nine month group and we set our kind of intentions in a way for the, for our time together. And the question I asked them was what, you know, if you could choose an outcome at the end of our time together, how do you want to feel? And one of the moms I'll never forget this. She, one of the words she chose, there were several, but one of the words that she chose was buoyant. She wanted to be able to, because she was wise enough to know that nothing about the work we were doing in the mom's group was going to directly change the chaos that was happening in her home. And she knew that, right? Like she didn't show up hoping that somehow we were all going to make things better in her home. Yes. Right. She wanted to have more capacity to be, and the word she chose was buoyant. And I always kind of go back to that imagery when I think about resilience. For me, it's it's not, especially if we're going to talk about resilience post trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying I'm right. So I'm like curious here, just as we're having a conversation, like your thoughts on this, like. I try to almost kind of separate the two because I hate to ever give the impression to anybody that like resilience is this like quote unquote worth it byproduct of trauma, you know, like yep. because I've been yep. through this trauma, I can go through hard things, which mm-hmm. I don't think is even neurophysiologically accurate. It feels a little bit kind of gaslighting and minimizing yep. and a little yep. bit of toxic positivity. Absolutely. So I think of resilience as more like, like from this moment forward or in this moment, mm-hmm. how can I, like, what are things that are within my reach that I could do to kind of almost like bolster my nervous system mm-hmm. that gives me just a little more buoyancy, like a little more of that, like, like, yes, hard things are going to happen. Is it possible to increase kind of the riding the wave that's right. Of the right. hard things. Well, I love being that like I crashed by the tsunami. <laughs> exactly. And I love that even as you say that, if if that's that person's story, I can picture this buoyant thing, yeah. right? In the water. Yeah. That's able to kind of move with the flow of things. Um, that's why I think it's so powerful to ask people to define yeah. it for themselves, right? Yes. That, that kind of guided imagery, right? Or symbolism. Um, I had a, a, a survivor of sexual assault say that to her resilience kind of felt like being a paperclip. Mm-hmm. And she said before this really extensive trauma, she knew what her job was. She knew what her purpose was. Like she was a paperclip. She was supposed to hold things together. Right. Oh, okay. Okay. And then through the process of what she went through, she became reshaped, mm-hmm. reformed. Yes. And she said, sometimes my family wants me to be the paperclip again. 
Yeah. But I'm never going to be the paperclip again. Yes. And to her, what she said resilience meant is that she was reshaped and reformed by the trauma, but didn't lose sight that she still had strength and purpose. Absolutely. She was no longer the paperclip. She said, but now I can like pick a lock and I can be a straight edge and I can be like this defense mechanism if I needed to with a, you know, a sharp edge, but I'm not, I'm not the paperclip anymore. Yeah. And I'm part of my experience. I have to integrate this trauma which I appreciate what you said, right? We don't want resilience to be this like, oh, you get the bonus byproduct of going, no, we'd rather it not happen to a person. Absolutely, yeah. And it doesn't need to happen to people right. for people to develop resilience. I think That's that right. sometimes yeah. that gets a little lost yeah. too, that yes. there are other ways to yes. build resilience there- in the nervous system without yes. subjecting people to terrible, terrible traumas, of yes. course. And in fact, that's what we want for all all families, right? We want every single child to have a skill set and a space and environments that build resilience for them, regardless of trauma, right? They don't have to have gone gone through a traumatic incident. It's just that the reframe on it for people, we don't want them to feel like, oh, and by the way, let's just focus on the positivity. No way, right? what, What I think both of those stories show with the buoyancy and the paperclip is, I can overcome, I can not be blown away by the tsunami or, you know, I am reshaped by this. And so how do I find from that moment purpose, determination, a story that I can integrate into myself um, and go from, from there. And there are millions of kids and families who also need to build resilience that haven't had a, a background of trauma um, but, but we all have to experience, um, we all experience stress and we all experience mm-hmm. hardship, regardless of whether or not it was what someone might define as a traumatic experience. And so therefore having an internal sense of resilience of what strengthens you, of what helps you overcome and face challenges is important to be able to recognize and label. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So when we're thinking about kids and, and you can go whichever way you want, do you want to talk about first kids who haven't had, you know, extreme experiences of trauma or kids who have, and then think about resilience. How do we build resilience? How do we, and there's a part of me that doesn't even like that language, build resilience. It feels just way too, um, prescriptive mechanical. Yeah, Yeah. Like there's this thing that, you know, so how do we bolster buoyancy? I just read that up. <laughs> build, build the buffering, right? How do we build? Yes, the buffering? build the buffering. Um, yeah. And I would, I would say, and please disagree with me, that whether a child has had a traumatic background or traumatic experiences or not, it's the same things that create buffering. What I would say to the parents of years that are listening is that for kids who do have a background that includes trauma, it makes that work that much more difficult. Yes. Um, So I want to acknowledge that. And the things that we know that are good for kids that build the buffering are the same things that are good for all kids. Yes. Right. Yeah. So I think I, I wrote down like, four things that, you know, you can look at so many different models around resilience building, right? Um, You know, Ginsburg, Ken Ginsburg talks about the seven C's of resilience and, you know, there's the 40 developmental assets and Castle has like, you know, resilience inventories. Um, But as someone who's worked with kids and families, Mm -hmm. you know, 
for 20 plus years, I, I kind of wrote down, okay, I think first they need safe, stable, nurturing relationships, Yeah. right? Consistent people in their lives. And we know from decades of research that it just takes one, yep. just yep. one loving adult in their life who is there and present. In fact, if we look at the work now, as we're shifting away from focusing on the adversities to focusing on the buffering, if you look at the work of Dr. Robert Sagi, he talks about these positive health outcomes. And he asks a series of seven questions, one of which is, did you have an adult in your life, someone outside of your family who was interested and loved you? Yes. Right. So, so I think that's what the first thing that, that all children need safe, stable, nurturing relationships. And then within those relationships, I think there are two things that, you know, I'm sure you get this question to you, like, what's the one thing that mm-hmm. like, if you could only teach one thing, uh, you know, the first one for me always Robin is unconditional love. Yeah. 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 Um, and when I do talks for parents, whether it's in my office with a parent or in front of hundreds of parents, when I talk about, you know, what I think are, are three things that are core assumptions mm-hmm. around parenting, unconditional love that, you know, um, kids learn because we're their primary role models mm-hmm. and that they can rise up to our levels of expectations yeah. when they're in safe, safe boundaries we get stuck on unconditional love for a long time. Yes. And it's really because so many adults haven't experienced that themselves. Right. Right. Yeah. It's such a, um, it's a, to, you know, even just like talking about it right now, I'm like fumbling on my words. Right. Cause it's, it moves into this category of like, like what's the definition of that? It's a felt yeah. sense. And if you don't yeah. have the felt sense, mm-hmm. how do you begin to talk about it, define it, offer it. So, so here's what I tell parents. Um, unconditional love is our ability to separate relationship from behavior, mm-hmm. right? So, um, you know, kids do dumb stuff all the time. Right. <laughs> really great kids do, right. you know, stuff, take risks and all of it's right. within developmental appropriateness, right? right. Like they're just doing what kids need to do to test boundaries. Um, it's a way of communicating like that behavioral piece is something that we, you know, respond to. And I know you do tons of work with parents around like, how do we respond to the behavior that we see? And when we can separate that from our relationship with the child, then we create a a space for unconditional love because what we're saying is, you know, no matter what you do over here, if I know your people can't see me, I'm holding up kind of two hands, like weights, right? Like in one hand, here's all the behavior. That's really, really difficult. And in the other hand, here is the relationship. And so if we can focus on the one hand and say like, okay, this is the behavior. That's really difficult. We have to figure out how we're going to respond to the behavior. And this over here, this relationship piece and the other hand, it doesn't go away. It doesn't change. I don't go anywhere. that that's like I wanted to pause the episode real quick and read you this testimonial from one club member this person writes in the club has been life-changing for me For me, feeling alone in the stress and the overwhelm of parenting a child with complex trauma has been traumatic. 
Here in the club, we are finding healing for ourselves by feeling seen and heard and validated, even though we may have come here for our children's healing. Oh, y'all, that is exactly what I'm trying to do in the club, to create a space that's for you that also brings healing to your kids. So the club's open for new members until April 28th. We'd love to have you. RobinGobel.com slash the club. All right, let's get back to the episode. The safest space we want people to be in. Yeah. Right. Because my goodness, I mean, like I think about myself, um, like I do lots of quirky things that might annoy people or take them (laughs) off or right. And I have to hope that the people around me who are my, my primary attachment relationships, if you will, aren't going anywhere. Right. Right. That they'll give me the benefit of the doubt that like, that was just like a tough day for Amy or a, a tough moment or whatever the case may be, but the relationship doesn't change. And yeah. to me, that's how we begin to build unconditional love. I love yeah. you yeah. no matter what I'm here yes, for yes. you, no matter what you're going to do these things and engage in these behaviors that are going to push and challenge, Right who I think I am, who you think you are, developmental appropriateness. Like we're going to sometimes feel spun out and confused and worried and overwhelmed about the behavior. Yes. But what I always am clear about is us. Yeah. Not going anywhere. I love you. I'm your person. And I think the, the hardest part about teaching the concept of unconditional love is for adults that have never experienced it. Because yeah. as I you know, I, I was, I, I think about this, this large auditorium I was speaking to one time about unconditional love and a woman approached me afterwards and she had two biological children and was fostering to adopt two children as well. Yes. And she said to me, Amy, I don't know if, if I'm showing them unconditional love, how uh-huh. do I know? How do I know? And I, I just said to her, you know, well, what brought you to fostering you know, two more children and, you know, and you have your, you know, two biological children as well. And she expressed to me that she had gone through the foster system Mm -hmm. as well Mm -hmm. and that she never wanted a child to feel like they were disposable. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, that's it. You're doing it. Yeah. You're doing it. Like sometimes we have to name it for people. Like you're bringing children into your home. You're having children. You're creating this safe environment where, where they know, that no matter what, they're not going to be thrown out or tossed out. And that was her words, not my words. Right. 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 Um, and, and as soon as I said that, and, and I looked at her, I said, by the way, loving a child unconditionally doesn't mean that you always like them. Right. <laughs> right? right. It doesn't mean that you always like right. their behavior. Um, it doesn't right. mean that you don't pull your hair out sometimes right. as a parent. And she just got these huge tears And I said, you know, it's not about like being a a perfect parent, right? right? Right. It's about knowing that no matter what, for your children, you're not going anywhere. And she was like, of course I'm not. And that to her was like, that was primal. I'm not going anywhere. And I said, that's unconditional love. Right. So sometimes it's just a matter of, of talking it through with a person enough so that they can embrace the definition. Mm -hmm. But I think it's so hard if we haven't experienced that feeling. 
Yeah, I, I it's making me think oh, a couple things are coming to mind. One is of all of you know, after a bajillion dollars and many, many, many years of extremely intensive therapy, one yeah. of the things I remember so clearly that I learned from my therapist was so off the cuff, which was just a chuckle of a moment where she said to me, Look, like people are annoying. Like all people are annoying. You're annoying. I'm annoying. Sometimes I'll be annoyed with you. Sometimes you'll be annoyed with me. Like that, that's just like a part of being human. And Mm -hmm. of course there was a moment of, well, yeah, duh. Yes. But there also was this like kind of thunking moment for me, which is like, yeah, like I don't have to try to aim to be perfect in order to be like welcomed relationships. And also it's okay if the people that I love are sometimes annoying and I'm annoyed with them because people are just annoying, like all people. Right. And then you add in, you know, that for the, the primarily the parents that I work with and connect with because that they're, you know, was parenting, uh, not only had like these really hard things happen to them, but their relationally hard things happen. Mm-hmm. And so they've had their like relational system impacted. So the thing that's supposed to be soothing, yeah. right. And regulating, which is connection and relationship mm-hmm. pulls both directions for these kids, okay. right? Like pulls like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want connection and relationship because I know it will help me feel better, but no, 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 no. I don't yeah. want it. I don't want it at all. And so when parents, and it's why I spend so much time teaching the theory. Yep. And I think at times that can frustrate people because they're like, just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do. So I try to do both. I absolutely try to do both. But this piece that you're saying for me goes together so completely, which is when I can under, when I can make sense of somebody's behavior, whether I just chalk it up to like, well, sometimes people are annoying. Okay. Or, well, my child's like attachment trauma is contributing to this extremely bizarre behavior in which it appears as though they're trying to convince me the last thing they want is connection, right? If I can make sense of that behavior, that helps me shift back into this place that you're calling unconditional love, right? right. I can separate the child from the behavior. I can separate myself from it. Like then it doesn't feel personal to me. Mm -hmm. Right. And then that feels like I come back to, again, like what you're describing as this place of like unconditional love. I can separate you from your behavior. That also means I can set a boundary about it. That's right. right? I think it's easier to set boundaries when we're in this place of compassion. That's right. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. but I love this, this, how it kind of all fits back into like, if I can change how I see my child's behavior, I can so much more solidly anchor into this place of unconditional love and then bring us back to that is such a huge component of resilience. Well, and, and let me weave in some more of your work. Cause I, I yeah. told you before we started that, that, um, I was listening to your attachment series yeah. and one thing I love, love, yeah. love about what you said is hope versus expectation. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I mean, like how many moments do you experience that on a given day? Right. A lot. <laughs> like I literally can think of two this morning 
right? right. And it's like only eight o'clock, by the way, here where I yeah, am. It's <laughs> early in Portland. <laughs> um, and I can think of two examples this morning of like how I acted and how I wanted someone to respond to me versus the message I put out about how to, I, like I put out a message this morning to the, to my fiance, whom I love more than anything in the whole yes. world of don't approach me. And yeah. what I wanted more than anything in the world was him to approach me. Of course. Right. But, but it yeah. comes from fear. It comes from yep. terror. And I think this idea of, of recognizing the behavior with the lens of compassion, yeah. recognizing that the, that the hope is for all of us unconditional regard, right? Yes. Hey, yeah. I see you. I, I see you. I'm not going anywhere. You look loud or mad or angry or grumpy or crunchy, or you're pushing me away. You're acting defiant. And I know that what I hold for both of us is that we want connection and love. Yes. And, and, and if, if, if you can't hold that right now, I'm going to hold it for you. And if I can't hold it right now, I'm going to take a break and come back to it. Right. Um, but it's not going anywhere. And I think the more we ground ourselves in that, um, through lots of different terms, right? Like the hope versus expectation, unconditional love, um, felt sense. It's just creating these spaces where we're recognizing for the people that we love that sometimes their behaviors are going to really challenge that. Yeah. No, kidding. no, I'm like, no <laughs> kidding. Yeah. 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 And I love how even in this moment, like there's space too for self-compassion, mm-hmm. right? That instead of judging, you know, like, why did I act that way? Why did I do that thing? Or, you know, like there's a space to just look at it clearly. Like I really wanted, you know, to be approached, but I was giving off mm-hmm. behaviors of stand back. So of course the other person doesn't exactly know what to do. And can I say, um, by the way, I have a PhD in this and right. 20 years experience. So how would I expect that an eight-year-old would do a better job than I can do? Absolutely. Right? How, I think that's-, that's the compassion I have for parents and mm-hmm. for children. It's like, if I don't get this right all the time, as somebody who knows it, lives it, breathes it, reads it, listens to it, how do I expect the parents that I love and work with the children that they love and work with that they sometimes feel turmoil with, they're not going to get it right all the time either. So just giving ourselves grace around these issues. Um, and, and like you said, self-compassion that we're not always going to get it right. That's okay too. Well, and not only are we not going to get it right, but we don't have to. That's right. Yeah, that there's so much opportunity in these like, quote unquote, mess ups or these moments of imperfection. Right. And so let's talk about that. Like, how does these moments of imperfection, how does that tie into the topic of resilience? Yeah. So I want to say this. Um, I kind of alluded to this before we started recording, and that is, you know, I've worked with kids and families and systems and organizations for a long time. I have yet to meet a child or an adult who was once a child who said to me, I'm a resilient person because my parents were perfect all the time. Right. (laughs) Or, you know what? I turned out okay because everything in my life was perfectly lined up all the time. Exactly. Or, Or because my parents never made mistakes. They never yelled at me. They never lost their cool. Right. I, I mean, like that just doesn't happen. Right. Um, and I think, 
you know, often I'm sure this happens to you too, Robin, you know, I'm, I'm working with a family and they'll say, you know, like, oh my gosh, it must be so nice to have you as a mom. And I'm like, it's yes. not, no. <laughs> it's like, let's bring it's that not. one in. Exactly. Let me, you can survey my children and then you might not come to me for advice anymore. Right. Um, but truly, right. As parents, So you may have heard that the club is open today for just a few days for new members. And I wanted to share with you what this club member said about her time in the club. This member says, I was way more successful handling a stressful situation than I would have been a year ago. And it is truly a result of the material I've learned through Robin and the club. Oh my gosh, y'all. I love, love, love hearing that. There's no way that we can promise that the stress from your kids is going to change because we're just not in control of anybody else but ourselves. But what we can do is work to change how we respond to those stressors. And that's what we do over in the club. We are open for new members from now until the 28th of April, and we would love to have you. Nobody comes with a guidebook. Uh, Every child is different. Every child has their own neurodiversity. Um, Every child has their own presentation background. And then we add into the fold our own experiences as adults with our own attachment backgrounds. And then if we're with a partner, with our partners, right? So it's all these like complex interactions that come together at 6.07 at night when you're trying to make dinner and your kids need help with homework and the dog is barking and you lose it, right? And you yell at your kids when you wish you wouldn't, or you lose your temper, or um, you say things that are regrettable. Um, And what I tell parents all the time is ruptures are going to happen in relationships. There, there in fact, is no, this was like a, a, you want to talk about mutual vulnerability sharing, Robin, like therapy that I had to do. I was like eyes wide open when a therapist said to me one time, did you know there is absolutely no relationship that is loving that doesn't have anger in the intimacy? Yes. I was like, what? What? <laughs> what? Stop it. <laughs> like, I was like, no, anger means imperfection. Anger means we're done. Yeah. Anger means like this relationship isn't healthy. And he was like, um, no, excuse me anger, frustration, resent. I mean, like all of those feelings that we label as quote unquote bad are intimate feelings. You can't be in an intimate relationship. And by intimate, we don't mean sexual. Obviously we mean like close, right? Um, We have intimate relationships with our kids without feeling anger and frustration and overwhelm. And the question isn't whether or not it will happen. The question is how will you repair it? Yes. I love that. that, Let's just say, I like to anchor things in that is, you know, is the question isn't, is it going to happen? That's right. Anger, yelling, losing it, Mm -hmm. saying incredible things. Right. The question is, how are you going to repair it when it happens? That's right. Yeah. How are you going to repair? That is, that is it. Right. 
And time and time again, kids and parents and families that I work with that have practiced repair. Yes. That is part of what builds. That is part of what builds wellness. That's what part, that's the part that builds resilience, right? Because you're able to look back at a situation and create a narrative where you say, you know, to your child, gosh, you know, Sophia, I was really in a space where I was stressed and thinking about 5 million things. And then you asked me a question and I lost it and I was really loud. And I bet that was really scary for you. Yep. And I bet it felt like I just wasn't there for you in that moment. And, um, you know, I kind of use this narrative approach when I, when, when I mess up with my own kids and need to repair. And when I teach um, families to do this, which is just objectively state the narrative. This is what happened objectively state the feelings that were likely present and then stay in the space of curiosity. What was that like for you? Yeah. Right. And often the child will say, you know, that was horrible or that was scary or you were yeah. really big or mad or angry. And I felt yeah. scared, or overwhelmed, or, yeah. or maybe the child just doesn't say anything yeah. and you just narrate the space for them. And then you say, right. I can't promise that will never happen again, but what I will promise is I will keep working on managing my feelings and circling back to you and checking in with you. And I'm sorry that this happened to us. And can we try again? Right. Like how can we re-enter and what do you need right now? Like, I I don't think we should ever give a superfluous apology, but I think we can say, what do you need right now? Do you Mm -hmm. need space? Do you need a hug? Do you need time? Do we need to write? Do we need to walk? Do we need to eat? Like, what do you need right now that can help us rejoin again? Yes. And that is what builds resilient relationships, right? Because yes. the pressure should never, you know, be on a person to be resilient, right? Yeah. It's in the context of relationship, yeah. right? And so that's what builds a resilient relationship too, a thriving relationship when you have ruptures that will inevitably happen and you make repair. Yes. Yeah, so I also, I love talking about rupture repair. I think it has given me so much um, soothing and grounding, like just in my life, you know, it, it really permission to, to stop the completely impossible task of trying to be perfect. Um, and so I talk about rupture repair so much. We did a whole month on rupture repair in the club a couple months ago and awesome. really looked at like, what does it, what does it even mean? Why is it important? And I think some of my favorite things about rupture repair, there's so many, but one, it's a learnable skill. Yes. <laughs> and two, it can be scaffolded, right? Like I have worked with families who have, because of their own histories of not being seen. And then the vulnerability that is so implicit in rupture and repair, you know, and it really initiating a repair is so vulnerable yeah. that it just feels impossible, you know, and that is I'm like, okay, we can tackle that. Like it is a scaffolded, like we can scaffold repair. Like maybe you can send your kid a text. Maybe, you know, maybe the next time, this is my favorite one because I think it's so easy. Maybe the next time you stop and get gas, you grab Mm -hmm. their favorite candy Mm -hmm. and you set it on their desk. And maybe it doesn't even yet come with an overt, I regret that that happened. Maybe it's just a gesture and then, and we'll just start, we'll start with wherever you are yes. with being able to initiate repair and we'll mm-hmm. take teeny tiny baby steps and scaffolds. So I, lo- I mean, I just, I yes. love that it's teachable. I love that it's 
you know, something that can be scaffolded. And while you were talking, the other thing that popped into my mind is this has got to be true for you too. Like I have worked with so many adults in the therapeutic space who are working really hard at parenting differently than they were parented. Yes. And almost all of them have in some way, shape or form articulated that even if my parent, the parent that I had (laughs) never had any behavior change in my relationship with them, even if they had even done anything that had acknowledged, they knew things were not good between us Mm-hmm. or done any, made any attempts at any way, shape or form to make a, even the slightest little bit of repair, how mm-hmm. profoundly impactful they believe that would have been for them to just be seen, right? They oh didn't say I needed my parents to be, to not have done any of the terrible things that, you know, that's that they aren't saying that they're saying if they could have just acknowledged just a little bit that yeah. they noticed, right. and that's what repair does. That's right. They noticed, I see you, I see that I've created some pain for you. I regret it and I want to repair it and I want to be with you again. Yes. Incredible. Yeah. And I think parents often get to this space where they know what they're doing doesn't feel good, Yeah, but they don't know what else to do. Right. Right. Um, and, And that feels really overwhelming. And that's why we go back to kind of default you know, behaviors that, that we don't love to engage in as parents. Right. Included. Oh yeah. I was going to say me too. Yep. Yep. For yep. sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, gosh, this has been wonderful. Just so wonderful. And the, you know, idea of resilience is such an important thing to, to talk about, but also talk about in a way, like I said, that it's so easy to talk about resilience and, and move into this sort of toxic positivity I, I agree. realm. And yeah. so, you know, to talk about it by being able to embrace kind of the both and, mm-hmm. um, and then to really give so much hope about, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to recognize that such an important path towards resilience is relationship, we also want to make sure we're soothing ourselves that we're not, you know, giving ourselves an expectation that's not possible, right? We don't get relationship and offering relationship to our kids has nothing to do with perfection or never messing up or being anything except for your human self, which is sometimes annoying. (laughs) I mean, I don't know what's what's the percentage you tell parents, Robin, I tell them like 70% of the time, be good enough. Yeah. I mean, I think this is such a fascinating question because, (laughs) you know, electronics work is shows that like, we have to be attuned to our kids about 30 ish percent of the time. And the rest of it is rupture repair. Well, repair is attuning. So, I mean, if you look at it, like, And that those like 30%, 30%, 30% thing, like, yeah, like 30%, you're getting it right. 30%, you're repairing when you messed up. (laughs) And so, yeah, that's about the rest of it is just life. Just life. Just life. Yeah. Doing the best we can and messing it up and knowing that, you know, if we have this space where we're all trying together, right. Um, And we have this mutual goal of, me, you know, to use your language, living to the hope, yeah. right. Yeah. Aspiring to the hope yeah. of what we want, which is connection. Then, yeah. you know, we're going to mess up, but we're going to mostly get it right. Yeah. Well, again, thank you just so much for one, getting up early 
<laughs> being ready to go early Portland, Portland no time. Tell folks, you know, if they want to go and see more about the work that you're doing and especially like this, this goal you have of reaching more, you know, providers and professionals, where can they, where can they find you? Yeah. So you can check out my website. It's Dr. Amy LLC, doctor spelled out D-O-C-T-O-R Amy LLC.com. Um, on Instagram, I'm at Dr. Amy LLC on Facebook. I'm at Dr. Amy LLC. Um, so in all the places, that's where I'm at. Awesome. And I'll make sure y'all that are listening, if you check out the show notes for this podcast, there'll be live links there, but I've also started making um, like blog post summaries of all of my guest interviews. So if y'all want to head over to my blog, you'll see a nice kind of summary of this interview with me and Amy, and there'll be live links there too. So y'all, if you can't remember Amy's website, you'll be able to find it and click through to it really easily. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Robin. And thanks for all the work you're doing in the world. Oh, yeah. Thank you for, thank you for saying that. And, and thank you for you too. And it's been just really lovely the way our lives have intersected and, uh, you know, we just keep learning more about each other and getting to know each other more and more. I can't wait to do it again. You too. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. Gosh, didn't you love that? I just can't stop thinking about how it's time to stop focusing on summing the suffering. And how can we do that while still absolutely honoring the suffering that has happened and and the impact that it had? It's really lovely to consider the truth that both can be true. Thanks for joining me today on the podcast. I'm really, really grateful for you. Thank you for your commitment to kids and to families and to making the world a better place by embodying the science of relationship. I'll see you next week. Are you ending this episode with maybe a big sigh of relief? Like, yes, finally, someone gets me and my kids, but also maybe a sense of like, Okay, but now what? All right, y'all, I've got lots of possible now what's. If you want to connect with me directly, like pick my brain, have access to me almost every day, not to mention hundreds of other parents from around the world who totally get what it's like to be you, then you're going to want to join us in the club. We have monthly live events, including groups for siblings of dysregulated kids, a huge video library with something like 80 or 90 videos, plus transcripts and certificates of completion. Plus, of course, a very active forum that I'm participating in every single day. We open for new members periodically. So go check robingobel.com slash the club. If we aren't open now, you can put yourself on the waiting list and I'll let you know the moment we open for new members. That's robingobel.com slash the club. Now, if you're a professional and you want to strengthen your capacity to work with the families of kids with big baffling behaviors and vulnerable nervous systems, plus use all of my materials, including a 12-module course that follows raising kids with big baffling behaviors, plus be included in an online searchable directory 
so families all over the world could find you, then you're looking for Being With, which is my year-long immersive training program that runs January through December. So you'll want to go to robingobel.com slash with, read all about it. And if you're interested, put yourself on that waiting list too. Now, if you just maybe need a little extra connection and co-regulation, but don't feel like you need to join the club, then you can just keep listening to my podcast. Or you could go subscribe to my Start Here podcast, and that'll give you 10 episodes in order that will take you through cultivating a great foundation of parenting with regulation, connection, and felt safety. That's at robingobel.com slash start here. You have to go there. You can't just find it in your podcast app. Or you can get yourself a copy of Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, paper book, audio book, ebook. You can get that anywhere books are sold. Or you can just head to my website download one of my very many free resources. I keep them all really easy to access at robingobel.com slash free resources. Webinars, masterclasses, ebooks, infographics, all sorts of stuff. Go check it out. See what of those things could be supportive of you or maybe to the other adults in your life who are helping support you and your child. There are just so many ways that you and I could be more connected and you can get the amount of co-regulation and support that you need. If it feels like a lot to remember, all you have to do is go to robingobel.com and take your time clicking around, seeing what I got there. I am so, so glad you and I are connected now and I can't wait to be with you again soon in our next episode of The Baffling Behavior Show. Bye-bye, y'all.